Welcome to Balanced Black Girl, a podcast dedicated to mental, physical, and emotional health from the Black woman's perspective. Tune in to hear from Black woman health and wellness experts giving the approachable advice you need to help you feel your best. I'm your host, Lestrandra Alfred. Let's dive in. Thank you for tuning in to Balanced Black Girl. My name is Les. I'm your host. I started this podcast three years ago because I wanted to have a space to connect with other black and brown women to talk about health, love, rest, ease, what it means to be well, and so much more. And I'm really honored to have you here in that space today. So last week, I kicked off our Dreaming Big and Taking Your Power Back series. Over the coming weeks, we are having insightful conversations about what it means to have big dreams, to step into your power, and to fully show up even when it scares you. And I could not be more excited to share this first interview of the series with my girl, Asha Bromfield. Asha is an actress, singer, and writer of Afro-Jamaican descent. She is known for her role as Melody Jones, the drummer of Josie and the Pussycats in CW's Riverdale, and she also stars as Zadie Wells in Netflix hit show Lock and Key. Asha is also a proud ambassador for the Dove Self-Esteem Project, and she's currently based in Toronto. I've had the pleasure of getting to know Asha over the past couple of years, which we talk about in the interview, and every time I talk to her, I am in awe of her warmth, depth, and her vulnerability. We talk about what dreaming big looks like when you're multi-passionate, staying the course when people doubt you, and the importance of Black female characters in books and on screen who are depicted as full beings, not just the sidekick, but who can fully exist in their humanity. I hope you enjoy this episode, and if you happen to be listening on the day this drops, it's also Asha's birthday, which was unintentional. It just worked out that the episode was dropping today. So after you listen, head to Instagram. We linked her profile in the show notes and give her some birthday love and let her know what you enjoyed about the episode. So let's dive in. Asha, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. This is this episode has actually been a long time coming, at least for me, because I've wanted to have you on the podcast since I met you. <laughs> so I'm glad it's finally happening. <laughs> it worked out because I've wanted to be on the podcast since I met you. So this is great. Amazing. <laughs> it's like a dream come true. I'm yes. so happy to be here. Thank so you for having me. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy to have you. Um, so for backstory for our listeners who probably don't know this is that you and I met each other about two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, we work with the same brand and we were on a brand trip to Essence Fest. And like that trip in and of itself was like very interesting. Uh, it was a lot to it, but we had a lot of fun. And I I really enjoyed yeah. getting to know you. And I'm so happy that we've kept in touch since. Oh my God. I feel the same way. You know, like when your eyes just like land on someone and you just know, like as soon as I saw you, I was like, oh, we're going to have a great connection. And then it was just so refreshing because we were in New Orleans Mm -hmm. and it was just really great to like have that sisterhood out there. We were doing such like great work. So I'm proud of it. And I had a great time. Yeah. We had the most, it was like such a solid group of women there. And yeah, I had such a good time. That was like my first big girl uh, brand trip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was. Right, right. And I mean, at that time, I feel like the world was so different. I mean, it was pandemic and everything. It was just a totally different time. Mm-hmm. So much has changed. Right. So much. 
Right. So I'm sure that we have some listeners who are already familiar with you. Uh, For those who are maybe just now meeting you, um, I would love to talk just a little bit more about some of the work that you do. You know, you are an actress, um, but some people may not know how much you really walk the walk when it comes to wellness and self-care. And that's what I'm really excited to share with people today. Um, So first, I would love to hear a little bit more about your experiences in wellness and what inspired your wellness journey. And then I'd also like to hear how you have navigated that while also still having a very creative, very public presence and career and the challenges with maintaining your sense of self and your sense of wellness with that. Yeah, I think that's such a great question. And thanks for asking that because it's something that I don't think a lot of people consider, especially in this like business of acting that like, it's a very dark industry. And, you know, there's obviously lots of like light and love, but like not too much, you know, behind Mm -hmm. the scenes. And, you know, at a young age, I started in this business. I was 15 years old when I booked my first gig. It was Degrassi. (laughs) And I had a a one line, it was, sorry, not interested. And (laughs) that was sort of like my claim to fame as a kid. But, you know, from there, I went on to do a lot of like Disney Channel stuff, Family Channel stuff, which is big here in Canada. Um, And then my sort of big role was Riverdale and breaking out kind of sort of on that show in Josie and the Pussycats. And let's just say, I guess for the past, I've been in the industry like over a decade, I feel like wellness, it's vital to what I do because I feel like if I didn't, I would be a very unhealthy person. I think it's almost necessary for me. Like my love for God, my love for spirituality and who I am, it drives my artistry, but it's also necessary because it fuels my artistry too. It heals me as well, because as I said, it's not an easy industry. And I think because I realized like the enormity of, I want to say, I don't want to say darkness, but I want to say the enormity of work that still needs to be done in the industry. I realized so much more that my purpose is, is, is that is to bring that light is to, you know, pave a way for black women. When I see, you know, how black women are, I've been on sets for, you know, over 12 years and I've seen the way that we're treated, the way that we're expected to just accept the scraps that are handed to us. And I really feel strongly that a huge part of my purpose is to incorporate wellness into this space is to bring in this idea of like self-care, self-love, showing up with integrity. And what does that actually look like in an industry that isn't nece- doesn't necessarily thrive off of those, those things. So I feel like that was a long-winded answer to say that they're both, they, they need each other, you know, that wellness routine. Oh, that totally makes sense. And I love how you talked about some aspects that are kind of the physical, but also the spiritual, because not only is it a very grueling space, right? Where you're doing work that is very physically demanding, where the hours are very long and the expectations are very high, but also it sounds very spiritually taxing, which is why we see so many stories of people in the public eye having these hardships and having these struggles when it comes to their mental health, because it does seem like if you're not super, super intentional about nurturing yourself in that way, it's really hard to stay afloat in that environment. 
Right. I would fully agree with that. And I, I would also say that it wasn't until I got older, maybe even in like the past year that I've really come to terms with like the industry that I work in, just seeing more, being exposed to more, just understanding that like, it really is like based on ego. It's an industry that thrives off of hierarchy and ego and, you know, pitting people against each other, competition, low self-esteem, you bring it over to Instagram. There's so much going on. Everybody trying to curate this like perfect public image or persona and I think when I sort of realized that it all is a facade and that so many people are actually so deeply afraid to be vulnerable and that a lot of the people that I work with who you know people might consider perfect or have it all together are actually just high functioning depressed people who are you know putting out an image and convincing the rest of us that we're lacking something and so I think like just peeling back that veil for me, coming to terms with the humanity aspect of it makes me so much more fueled to show that, you know, being vulnerable, taking care of yourselves, those are the things that actually matter and how we're treating one another. Those are the things that actually matter, you know? And I think that's like just such a long overdue conversation in this industry. Oh, absolutely. And I think that that can apply to so many industries. I mean, what you just said about high functioning, depressed people, really stuck out to me because I think there's so many people in our society. I mean, I know that you're in Canada, but a lot of those same principles and things apply. The cultures are similar in that way where people work so hard and just there's this expectation to just continue pushing and pushing where people are high functioning, even when they're not okay and allowing space for people to truly not be okay without them having to worry about their livelihood or keeping up with capitalism is totally we still have a ways to go and also i think for me as well just realizing that a lot of the people in the industry who are projecting these images onto us are some of the unhappiest people mm-hmm. you know and that's not to spread shame or judgment but it's also to say like we need to take a look at like what we're idolizing even within our own minds because I work with a lot of these people and I, I see how they are actually, you know, <laughs> but then I, I go on Instagram and I see their perfect feed. And even for me, it can be deceiving. So I can only imagine for young people looking for that representation, looking for that beacon of light and feeling like, wow, I'm so messed up compared to this person. And I think the truth is that we need to just have more vulnerability. We need to be more honest about who we are, you know, and not feel like we need to hide. Yeah. There's, uh, that's, I'm, I'm like talking while I'm thinking, but that's also such a beautiful sentiment of having safer spaces for vulnerability, because I think when people are more vulnerable, it's actually very empowering. Like it's not weakness to be vulnerable. There's actually a lot of strength and a lot of power in that. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I learned that lesson, like I relearn that lesson every day Mm -hmm. that that is what makes me Asha. That's what people are going to connect to is that truth and that honesty, because at the end of the day, less like we're all suffering to a different degree at different times for different things. But at the end of the day, what we have in, we have a commonality of pain. You know, we know what, nobody has it all figured out. Nobody really knows what this like virtual matrix thing is, but I think people like to, Everybody is so afraid to admit that they don't know, 
you know? And I think when we kind of like take a step and be like, you know what? I don't really know what's going on. This life thing is pretty like complicated, but it's beautiful, but it can be very messy and it can be very hard at times when we're more honest about that. I think we feel, at least for me, I feel more empowered because I don't know. I just feel like I never fit in with the cool club anyway. And it just never seemed that fun. I'd rather be honest. I'd rather show up as me. And I pray that I can be that example, especially when we talk about vulnerability for black women, when we talk about images of black women, soft, soft black women, seeing more of that idea in media. I think it's just so important to hold those spaces and show society like we're not just strong black women all the time We're we have emotions, we're human, you know, and just not being afraid to live in our own truth and our own vulnerability so that the world can be more accepting of it and see more diverse images of that as well. You know, more honest images. Oh, absolutely. Oh my gosh. That leads me to kind of a, a segue that I would love to talk to you or talk to you about, which is hurricane summer. Your amazing (laughs) first book, which, so I remember when we were in new Orleans, you were telling me about it because at that time, I think you were like finishing up writing it and it was very much in the process of coming to be. And so now two years later to see it like out in the world and to read it. And like, it's just such a a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, So I would like to talk to you about one creating this beautiful story that centers around this young black woman who is coming of age and how we get to see all of these different sides of her. She's not a one dimensional character. We get to see her feel all of these different things while she finds herself navigating this new world. That's like part homecoming, but part different worlds. I'd love to talk about the process of creating a character who's a young black woman who we get to see in totality in that way. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love Tilla so much. So for those of you who aren't familiar with the book, Hurricane Summer is about uh, a 17 year old girl named Tilla who ventures home for the summer to see her father in Jamaica, or sorry, who ventures to her father's home for the summer. He's estranged. He He lives in Jamaica and it's during one of the worst hurricanes the island has ever seen. And the title of the book is actually a metaphor for the hurricane coming in her own life. And it's interesting because, you know, everything you said about one second, it's like an idea, the next second, it's actually like a tangible thing. I'm still wrapping my head around that. And when it came to just crafting this book and having the idea, I was actually in LA for pilot season I hadn't worked in forever less. Like I was not booking. It was like right off of Riverdale. It was so hard for me to get work and I couldn't understand why. And I knew that I knew deep down that like God was waiting for me to write. Like God was, I, I, that was the only justification, justification that I could understand, you know, why it wasn't happening. And so I took up the challenge. I wrote one thing. It didn't work out and work out. And then I thought to myself, well, why don't I just like go back to my own experiences? Like what stories do I have to tell? And I immediately thought of a summer that I had spent in Jamaica, just like with my cousins. And that's sort of where the idea came from. And, you know, so it kind of began as the story of wanting to see more diverse, nuanced ideas of Black womanhood, because as an actress, especially during pilot season, I didn't feel like I was getting that content. I was so tired of this one dimensional idea of like the head rolling, neck snapping, you know, attitude to having Black best friend. And that seemed to be all I was going out for. And, you know, with this book, I really wanted to explore 
what it truly means to be a young black woman coming of age. I wanted to write a story that actually had nothing to do with her race and that ventured out beyond it, not because her race isn't amazing, but because she's so much more than that. You know, I wanted to explore her humanity. I feel like in young coming of ages, we see so many stories for white women. They get to come of age all the time in so many different ways. But with black girls, it's like, it's like they think that we wake up and our race is like the number one problem on our to-do list today. Like, no, I love oh, yeah. being black. You know, I love being black and it's a part of me, but it's not all of me. I have stories. I'm a sister, you know, I'm a daughter, I'm a friend. And I really, it was important for me, you know, diving into Tilla to showcase this young girl coming to terms with herself, her sexuality, her worth, her deservedness, you know, all of these things that we go through you know that and I know that and you know all the amazing black and brown women listening know that but I think it's about time we start seeing it in our films and in our media and in our books you know so that's that's where it came from that's where Tilla was birthed so beautiful and something that I've been thinking about while reading the book and then also talking to you right now is that I do think that young black girls are kind of adultified. I don't even know if that's a word, but in a way where I think that's part of why coming of age stories for young black girls are not told because they think we're just born grown. And it's like, (laughs) no, that's a process. Black little girls are very much little girls and teenagers are grown up little girls who are navigating these different things. Like we're not out the womb grown women, which is very much how society treats us. And so seeing the nuances of someone who is truly coming of age and growing into her own is really beautiful to see because a lot of stories just skip that for us, even though we experience it real time. Right. I would fully agree with that. And, you know, I think with Tilla, it was so important for me to really dive into this idea of like being on the brink of not like for me till I never wanted her to feel like 16, like she was like this young girl, but I kind of wanted her to feel like she was at that age where, you know, maybe more 17, 18, like you're, you're discovering yourself, you're discovering your body and your sexuality. And I really was curious to know, you know, from my own life, like, what happens to girls who aren't given this perfect model of what it looks like um, to find love? What happens if, you know, you had a father who loved you so much, but then he wasn't in your life. What happens to the girls who don't have perfect fathers to instill all of these loving words of their own, their worthiness into them? You know, we have to figure it out on our own. And Mm -hmm. so I think for me, it really started at this question of like, what happens to these girls and how do they find their self-worth and their self-value? And through my own journey with learning to forgive my father, coming to terms with my relationship with him, my expectations of him, what really started as this journey of catharsis quickly became such a healing journey for me because I faced so many truths and realized why, especially as a young woman, like 19, 20, 21, why I made so many of the decisions that I did with partners, with sexual partners, with, you know, my own self, not fully understanding my worth and my value in my body. And with Tilla, I really wanted to showcase how, you know, she's a young woman on this journey of like figuring out her pleasure and like what feels good for her, but she's completely shamed by yes. her family, by the community. Right. Oh. And it's this idea that like, so frustrating. girl, like, 
But it, it really just goes back to this one idea, what you just said about women, especially black women, when it comes to our sexualities and our pleasure, we're persecuted for it. It's like, mm. it's either it's this overt sexual thing that we see in the media, or it's like, you know, she's a nun or she's a virgin, but there's no in between. There's no like, let me figure this out. Let me learn what healthy, loving relationships look like. And what happens if I make a mistake? What happens if I sleep with the wrong guy? Does that make me a whore? Does that now mean that I've defiled my body? Like all of these toxic messages, I think that we tell black women is something that I wanted to challenge with this book. And really, I wanted society to really think about how we as a world can start creating safer spaces for black women to explore themselves. Absolutely. And I love the word explore because I do think exploration is something that can be so hard, particularly for young people to feel safe enough to do, but it's also really freaking important about various things, about their sexuality, about relationships, about their career, about purpose, about their place in the world. I mean, that, that requires exploration and, I think, unfortunately, a lot of people, and I know myself included in some contexts, have not really felt safe enough to do that or felt like we had the freedom or the privilege to explore. It was like you start working, you start going, you start doing all the things to make sure that everything and everyone is taken care of. And there's not as much room for you to explore and figure out who you are and what feels good to you. And I think as many opportunities that we can create for young people to do that as possible, the better. I would agree with that. And I also think for me, like as a young girl, I just felt so much shame. Yeah. I always felt like, oh gosh, I shouldn't have done that. Or there's something wrong with me because I fell for this guy or I, I fell for another guy again. You know what I mean? Or like I, and it was the wrong guy. And it's like just this idea of everything of what you said, giving women a space where they can feel celebrated and joyous and know that there are no wrong answers, that it's a journey you know, and it's their bodies and like just claiming their own bodies and knowing that it is our right. And it is our power, you know, to make decisions about it. And there's no wrong answers. It's what feels good for you. And I think like, that's something that's so taken out of the conversation for young girls, you know, for sure. And I think sometimes the intentions the intentions are to protect, but I don't think anybody is protected by feeling shamed. Yeah. Feeling shamed for things that are absolutely human and normal because everything is normal. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think for Tilla too, like even in the book, there's so much projection yes. as well. Like there's so many, I think when I look at like Aunt Herma or different characters in the book yes. who are sort of like the villain, yes. there's a lot of like repressed sexuality within them. I feel yep. like maybe a repressed sense of creativity or exploration and it's projected onto this young, vibrant young girl, because we can have this conversation, not only about sexuality, but about anything. Whenever mm-hmm. I, I feel, whenever the world sees a thriving young black woman, you know, it's like, there's that criticism. It's like this idea that the world almost wants to dim that light, you know, but the purpose of this book and the purpose of Hurricane Summer is to say to shine anyway. You know, it is to say to take up that space to free yourself from the expectations and limitations of other people's projections. Oh, 100%. And if y'all haven't read it yet, you need to. We'll have it linked in the show notes. It is honestly, it's beautiful. You will feel every emotion under the sun <laughs> happiness, sadness, 
anger, <laughs> all of it. Um, so make sure if you haven't read it yet, head to the show notes and I can't wait to hear everything you have to say about it. Like I'm so, you read so many books. Oh my gosh. It's beautiful. Honestly, it's beautiful, but it's also, I'm about two thirds of the way through right now. And I'm also like a little heartbroken, It's heavy, um, you know? And so, but it's absolutely beautiful. Thank you, queen. Peace. That's like the best. Thank you. Oh my gosh. All true. You are so welcome. Thank you. So I guess kind of piggybacking off of that conversation about the book, you know, I would also love to talk to you about just being multi-passionate, right? Because it's an amazing thing that you wrote this beautiful young adult novel, which is probably not something that people would think an actress would do, right? Um, but I love how you are showing up as somebody who has these various talents and these various passions and that you are pursuing them and just showing up fully as yourself in them, which from the outside looking in, it just looks like just light and oh my gosh, <laughs> it just looks wow. like effortless, <laughs> although I am sure it is anything but I'm sure it's effortful. Um, but I would love to talk to you just a little bit about your experience being multi-passionate and pursuing different avenues and how you continue on if you do have a moment that feels discouraging or if you get doubt and how you navigate that. That is a beautiful question, Les, because I mean, going back to everything we said off the top, like as you said, some it's funny how images can make things look so perfect and effortless. And it's like, as you said, so far from like my experience with being someone who's passionate about multiple different things has literally been tough. And I say that because I'm a Scorpio. I think the reason I've been able to like do all these things is because I'm really fueled by what people tell me I can't do. You know, if someone tells me I can't do something and I have the idea to do it, like, and I've had a lot of people tell me what I can't do. I grew up in a very small, predominantly white suburban town where all my teachers told me I was never going to be anything. You know, I was not popular. I was definitely that girl that everybody didn't like. And, you know, and I never understood why and realizing then or realizing now that so much of that was like race influence. I think just like, you know, I had a day the other day where I went back to my school with my best friend, Lori, and we really just like honored where we came from. And it was like the epiphany that had it not have been for such a tumultuous childhood and so many people telling me I couldn't do things. I don't think I would have that same fuel. I don't think I would be where I am now. And I say that to anybody out there going through anything, like use that fuel because it will take you so far, you know, and I don't like to think that I did it because of them, but I like to think that I did it in spite of it. It was almost that thing that just pushed me, you know, to show myself. And I I think I made it personal. I wanted to not only show myself, but I wanted to show others that it's possible. You know, when I was going to go to Vancouver to audition for pilot season for Riverdale, everybody told me not to go. They said it was the worst decision. They said, stick to your nine to five. Why would you go out there? And then boom, I booked Riverdale. When I decided to um, write this book. Even when I was on Riverdale, everybody told me it was premature. They were like, my, you know, I had agents at the time that were like, it's a bad idea. Nobody supported it. But I think that fueled me even more to be like, well, why, why is it premature? Why can't I write a book? You know? And so I think being, if you're deciding to be someone who does multiple things, you just have to make the choice for yourself that like, 
You can literally do anything and you have to define your life for yourself because if we wait our whole lives for other people to give us permission, they never will, you know? And I think that's something that I've learned. And it's like, even as I take it further, I notice more and more, I said this to my boyfriend the other day, that every day is like a reaffirming of who you are. It doesn't stop. You know, I want to star in my book and I'm definitely getting pushed back for that now. But like, that's another thing I have to fight for. And I have to believe in myself enough, even though, you know, there's going to be voices. People told me, you know, you're an actress. Why would you write a book? I had agents telling me like book agents saying, I didn't even want to read it because you're on TV. And I think it just, it makes me realize less that I don't take it personal because it makes me realize that people are so limited in their own minds. We're so conditioned to believe that we can't do more than one thing as if we are not, you know, the children of God who are boundless and capable of all things, you know? And so I always come back to that, you know, going back to your question, what do I do when I'm feeling low? I go to my spirituality. I pray, you know, I'm not religious, but I'm a huge believer in God. I'm a big believer in love, the power of life and the miracle that it is to be here every single day. And I think what I try to do is I try to connect with that truth, like really taking in like that. I don't know what's happening. (laughs) Right now, mm-hmm. like things are, this is what's happening. No one really knows, but it's happening. And I think when I stay in that awe, it connects me to a power that's bigger than me, that fuels me, and helps me to see that in these places where I feel there's darkness, or in this place, in these places where I feel resistance or pushback, it's just darkness in need of light. It's shadows in need of light, and that really does fuel me. And it's not to say it's not easy. It's not to say I don't cry multiple times a week, but. I also honor my emotions. I go to therapy. I allow myself to release and I keep going because we only get one life, you know, and I want to be able to do all the things I set out, set out to do. And I think we all should because we all deserve to. And it's, I, I believe it's our birthright. I believe it's why we're here. So, yeah. Oh, honestly, that was such a beautiful answer. And what I really want to highlight about what you just said was kind of the growth and the progression there that you've experienced when it came to people doubting you, how when you were younger, not understanding and taking it more personally, because when you're younger and you don't understand what a projection is, you don't understand people's biases or the things that they're dumping onto you that is their stuff. It does feel that way. And then as you get older, you recognize, oh, wait, that's your limiting belief. That is your projection and separating yourself from that. Um, it's just such a, it's such a beautiful journey and just such a testament to growth. And I really appreciate you sharing that. I love, I love that you said that. And it's like, for me, the craziest part right now is really going back. And this, it will be like a mind F for people who start, (laughs) when you really start doing the work, you Mm -hmm. really realize like, wow, like who was I before I ever heard this narrative about myself, who was I before I was ever doubted by the school system, by my friends, by my family, who was the voice? You know, I had someone say to me the other day about like self-criticism and not being so hard because I'm very hard on myself. She was saying like, you know, the voice that I'm probably hearing in my own head and the way that I speak to myself sometimes is probably such a reflection of the school that I went to and how I was raised and how they spoke to me and the expectations that they put on me. And it's like when you kind of step back and then you realize like, wow, even the negative voice we hear in our heads, it's not our own. We got that from somewhere. So where did we learn that? And how can we unlearn that? And not only that, but who are we without it? Who were we before? 
And I think when we start from there, we that's when life to me just bursts wide open because it's like, and it's scary, right? It's like, there's infinite potential. We can be anything. That's the answer. And I think that's why so many people live their lives in a state of fear because to know that self-power, that sovereignty, it's terrifying, you know? And so I try to, I am trying to (laughs) have empathy for, you know, other people when I feel like I'm constantly getting met with resistance or projections or being told no, or I'm not good enough or whatever. I'm really learning not to take it personally, which is tough, but you know, that's where I'm at. It is. It is tough. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a journey that I think everybody is on indefinitely. (laughs) (laughs) I, I'm sure you've read, you've read the four agreements. Yeah. Like that's like a, a pillar. I constantly have to go back to the don't take anything personally agreement. Mm. Every couple months I go back and I reread that agreement because that is the agreement that I need the most. (laughs) The most annoying agreement. It's definitely the most annoying one because it's so easy to take things personally. And I'm the queen of taking things personally. So (laughs) don't worry, you're not alone. You're not, you're just a Scorpio. I'm just you're not the queen of it. It's just sometimes (laughs) like, you know, (laughs) just in my astrological code. (laughs) But it's also a beautiful opportunity. And I think that you know, going back to what you said, like every day is an opportunity and every day it's, we're doing this work forever. So I think when we kind of get comfortable, we accept that challenges are a part of life, not to be feared. We realize like, like even today I was freaking out because I'm writing my second book and I realized that I might have to really go back in there and revise a lot of stuff. And I was like getting really frustrated and I could feel my anxiety being like, oh my God, I don't have time for this. Like my draft is due. Mm. But then I was like, yeah, but I'm just really grateful that I get to experience this. Thank you, God, for like this experience. I'm a human and I'm like a writer and I can like, I'm late on my draft. Like, that's kind of cool. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so I think just like really stepping back and having that gratitude for our lives because there's so much to be grateful for. And if you're living in the Western world and if you're listening to this podcast, you have the opportunity and the privilege to hear this podcast that alone is a blessing to be celebrated, you know? So I think just starting small is so important for all of us because it's easy to lose sight when we're so, you know, we're on Instagram. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Right. I well, thank you for that. I really, really appreciate that. And I also appreciate what you just brought it back to around gratitude and just the different ways that we can incorporate gratitude practices in our lives and just the duality there of acknowledging, like being grateful for that experience. And, oh, this is, this deadline is coming. (laughs) Like this thing is happening and I'm still grateful and they can both exist at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I think that my appreciation for life has grown so much through grief. I I said this to my best friend the other day that I believe that grief is the beginning of life. I don't think it's the end. I experienced some loss, like nothing too, like my dog and my aunt and, you know, but my best friend, she lost both of her parents as well, Mm -hmm. uh, back to back. Mm -hmm. And I watched this happen. I watched her go through it. And I also watched her be one of the most, and I'm, I don't, say this lightly, like the most positive, loving, grateful person that I've ever met. And I think when I see that, and I just realize the finiteness of our human experience here, 
that for me can snap me back into gratitude so easily. Not to say that like, oh, someone's gone through something hard. We should just be grateful because our lives aren't as bad. It's not that at all. It's more just looking at like how quickly life can be taken from you. And when you sort of look at it from that perspective, it's like, wow, like we're literally here because we're alive because of the breath going through our bodies. We're experiencing and we get to see all this and do all this. I get to walk my dog later. It's a blessing. You know, it truly is a blessing and it's not always easy to see, but I think we have to like look for it. And it's especially when we look at people going through worse things than we are and we see how fun, like just how quickly life can go. For me going through grief when I lost my dog, Kyra, like, oh my God, I love that dog so much, but it really helped me see that like she didn't go anywhere. She went back to the all, like she's alive every time I think of her spirit and I reminisce on how much I love her. You know, I can bring her energy into everything that I do. And then I just sort of realized that like life is a choice. Everything we do, it's a choice. It's, you know, we are lucky. We live in a very, you know, cushy society. And I think, you know, obviously it comes with its challenges, but really just learning to appreciate how quickly life can go by and grief has really taught me to appreciate my life. Mm, I can relate to that and appreciate that so much. And I had a really similar experience almost two years ago, my granny passed away and it taught me so much about how short life is, even though, I mean, she was, you know, she was pretty old. She was in her eighties. She, you know, had a good, had a good life, but even still seeing somebody make it to their mid eighties and, and pass away still felt like life was so short. And when that happened, I remember just getting this sense of perspective around what really matters and who really matters and being so much more intentional about how I spent my time and how I spent my energy and who I chose to give my time and energy to. I mean, it was just, it provided so, so much necessary perspective. Mm. Yeah. I, I love that you say that. I think grief can be as devastating as it is, you know, even with hurricane summer, the hashtag was surrender to the storm. When we surrender to the most devastating parts of our lives, I think that's truly when rebirth comes flooding in because you're given an opportunity. You can choose to see something differently. You can choose to decide how you feel about it. You know, I made the decision that like Kyra's alive every minute of my, every breath that I take, every time I walk my other dog, I can feel her spirit. That's a choice, you know? And something that I, I like to um, say to myself as well as a mantra when it is hard, I always tell myself, just keep saying thank you because I'm sitting here saying all of this, but I know it's not easy to access this level of like frequency when you're feeling low, it's very hard. But I like to just tell myself, just keep saying thank you. Even if you don't feel it, say thank you, say thank you. And the creator, whatever you believe in, energy, love, magic, wisdom, the almighty, it will hear you and it will start to respond. And I think that that's how we can learn to increase our vibrations, you know, when we're hit with stuff out there. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just the tiniest, tiniest act of faith and, and step forward, even if it's the smallest step can work wonders in, in getting us, uh, getting us out when we're in our lowest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I appreciate. I think so. And I think I'm also like realizing, I don't know if you've realized this as well on your journey, but like consciousness is so, it's such a funny thing. Like there's like levels of it. I like to think of it like 
if there's like a line, like we go in and out of levels of awareness every day. Oh yeah. It's a spectrum. You know what I mean? It's a spectrum. And so I think when we realize that for me now, if I'm like in a low mood or some, let's say I'm like sad about something, I try to step back and like have the awareness of where I am on the spectrum. And I think even doing that allows me to step out of the emotion, the emotional charge and see it more objectively. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm not actually being, this isn't my true self. This is just like the energy of fear. This is literally an energy of fear that has come over me because as they say, it's like, we only have two choices. We're only moving towards love in any given moment. We're moving towards love or fear. And so I'm starting to get better at catching myself. And I think that's also a really good trick for anyone trying to like practice gratitude, learning to like catch yourself when you're not actually in your truest form, you know, and still holding space. Like it's, that's okay. And allowing it to come up, but just be having the awareness to recognize like, who, who am I? What is my truest source? And how do I feel? When do I feel the best, you know, the most in line with who I am? And then from there, you can kind of like work your way back up, you know? Oh yeah. That's a beautiful exercise. And in seeing the power of our reactions mm-hmm. because we hold a lot of power in how we react to things. And that's not to say don't react. Cause I'm a big fan of emoting. I mean, people yeah. who listen to the podcast have heard my journey with getting in touch with my emotions over the past year, because your girl is not a Scorpio and I do not, <laughs> yes, not good about it, but I'm yes, getting a lot Leo. better. <laughs> listen, someone's got to lead the way. Leo's right. my favorite. I'm a Leo. Uh, I think my Mars is in Leo. Love it. Yeah. I can see that. I can totally see that. <laughs> I'm so here for I love it. Leos. Um, I, I love Scorpios. Really? Yeah. Oh but my, my Pluto God. is in Scorpio. Oh, wow. Okay. So I can relate. Yeah. Yeah. So I can definitely relate. I really like Scorpio energy. That is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's just so much power and like, man, less I've always been emotional. I've always been this way. I was the crybaby. I was the dramatic one as a kid, but I think that life is so much about taking like these things that were supposed to be seen as negative and really realizing that like, that is our greatest power. Our greatest strength is when we can transmute these things about ourselves into what makes us powerful into what makes us who we are. And I think also realizing that like so many negative traits that we're taught to see as quote unquote negative, it's just fear. Mm-hmm. It's just adults who were living in fear, who like didn't know better, who taught us these subconscious codes, who like didn't have the language, you know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Sure, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I think about that a lot now getting older and thinking about the different ways that we're conditioned and the, the behaviors that are encouraged versus the behaviors that are discouraged and feeling very affirmed as a young person to be quiet and to be small and to not emote and to be calm all the time. But that's so unnatural for anybody to the point where if you do start emoting, you think that's a bad thing and it's not necessarily a bad thing. Now, is it, you know, not great if you displace maybe anger or something like that or cause harm, obviously that's not good, but crying when you need to cry, emoting, when you need to emote, taking a minute, when you need to take a minute, those aren't bad things. And finally growing up and realizing that and being okay with that has been really powerful. Hmm, I love that so much. Like yeah, that the power of the emotional system, you know, honoring what we feel. I have a theory that like people 
are very afraid to feel things to the point where when people feel joy or elation, like people are afraid to just like dance outside or like to run around and like twirl and like express themselves authentically. There are times where, as I said, I'll walk my dog and I'm literally like, I just want to like hug this tree. I want to like talk to this, like, but it's like, it looks insane. And it just goes (laughs) to show that we haven't as a society really come to terms with how to honor our feelings. You know, really people are afraid to laugh too loud in public, you know? And I think it's just, that just goes to show like the disconnect that we have from our emotional bodies and just learning to understand that like true self-expression isn't going to look like that conformity. It's not going to look normal, you know, but go after your joy anyway, dance anyway, sing anyway, laugh out loud, run up and down the, do what you need to do to feel good. And I think if more people got more comfortable with, you know, the relationship to feeling good, I think our world would be a better place. But I think the truth is like, we have to also first work on our deservedness to feel good. Mm. And that's where the work comes in. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I need a minute. (laughs) Right? That is major. That is major. I know I struggled with that big time. Me too. Because we're taught our whole lives that we're not good enough. Who tells, like, you know, if you're lucky, you have some people, you know, I won't speak for everyone. Some people do have people telling them you're good enough. And, you know, I had my mom, I had an amazing family, amazing grandfather, but it's a tough world, especially for a young black girl with big dreams. And like, I think on my journey, again, like a big part is coming to terms with my past, letting go of the resentment towards it, and also allowing myself to now decide who am I as we said who am I before these voices and my my deservingness like I deserve to feel good and I don't have to walk around with this shame body as if like I'm not good enough all the time or expecting that things aren't going to go my way because they just don't sometimes all of those things that we put ourselves in a box with like I want my legacy to be breaking out of that because I don't want any black girl coming up under me in this industry to ever feel like she has to do that, to feel like she has to play small or take less or accept less. Like, no, we are deserving of everything. And any dream, any thought, any idea that comes to your head, you're worthy just because God put it there, just because the universe decided to drop that into your mind. It's yours. And I think that, again, like that expands beyond Black womanhood. That goes to anybody. Like when we start to see ourselves as worthy and deserving, we will then be able to see ourselves and each other and celebrate each other and have this like beautiful world. So until we get there, (laughs) there's balanced Black girl (laughs) and there's Hurricane Summer. (laughs) (laughs) We're We're providing tools and resources. Now, I appreciate that so much though, because I think that's what we all need to hear. And I think we also need to continue to hear it and to continue to be reminded and to walk in our worthiness and our deservingness, because we also deserve to have big dreams and some of them will come true and some of them may not, but that doesn't make the act of dreaming any less magical or beautiful or mean that we should stop. I love that. I had a friend of mine tell me that I deserve to have hope. Mm. I remember being so like, I was, there was something that was going to happen. And I was like, I don't think it's going to happen. Like, I don't know. Do you think like, are you sure? But like this, this production company, like, I don't know. And she was like, you are so jaded. Like you have literally allowed this industry to take your hope, but why? 
she's like, the worst thing that can happen is it doesn't work out. So then like, why not just have hope anyway? Why not be hopeful? Right. And I swear when she said that to me, it was like a light bulb went off. And I realized that I was the only one who could set myself free. I'm the only person who can take myself out of the limiting narratives, out of the box, out of the expecting less. I have to do it for me. Maybe the world put it on to me and maybe I heard these subconscious teachings, but I have the key, you know? And I think that that boldness, that audacity, that hope, has allowed me to like get to where I am in my career, like really from the ground up. And I really share that to say that hold on to hope to anybody listening. Like you are worthy of your hope. You're worthy of your dreams. Like you said, like I have dreams of, you know, singing and dancing on TV, which I recently finally got to do on Riverdale. But in the meantime, it's like, I had to have a conversation myself. Like, why aren't I doing that in my room? (laughs) (laughs) why don't I give myself the hope why don't I just have fun with my life and do the things I love to do and feel hopeful that yeah it might just work out so I think that's really important honestly that's a that's a life-changing perspective like the ability to allow yourself to feel hope is a life-changing perspective and also just knowing that like no one deserves to take it from you yeah no one who should who should be taking our hope away? Nobody. You know, it's funny, Obama's book, I haven't read it, but it's called The Audacity of Hope. And I didn't understand it when he first like put it. I didn't, it didn't hit me. But I remember when I had this epiphany after talking to my friend, I was like, oh, wow, like, it really is an audacity. You have to have audacity to hope, to believe that something could be possible for you when everybody told you it couldn't. That's some audacity. And I think that the universe will respond to that vibration. Like when we put out that audacity, I believe that it matches us every single time. You know, I told you earlier how I got on a plane, quit my serving job and went to Vancouver and booked Mm -hmm. Riverdale. It wasn't just like that, you know, like I had no money. I was like sleeping on the couch of a friend. I didn't know if it was going to work out for months. And then boom, when I least expected it. But I, I believe that story is because the universe matched the risk I was willing to take, take on myself, the leap of faith I had within my own body to know what I'm capable of, you know, and we're yeah. all capable of it. So I just think going back to that, realizing that so much of life is our birthright, like it's our birthright to live. How about yes. we just start there? And then when we start going there and we start allowing ourselves to just have fun, I think that's how we tap into that like childhood brilliance. And then that's how we manifest, you know? <sighs> Yes. Just betting on yourself and coming back to yourself is I think truly one of the biggest acts of, of self-love that you can have, which is so beautiful. And not abandoning ourselves too, like in a world that like constantly is asking that of us. Yeah. Asha, my head is spinning in the best (laughs) way. (laughs) I love you. It's not for a Friday. (laughs) I know, but it's amazing. I honestly feel just so blessed by this conversation and so grateful to you for sharing your story and for sharing your wisdom with us. I, even though I'm not, you know, a member of the audience feel like I've gained so much from this conversation with you. And I'm so appreciative of you sharing. I love you so much and thank you. I receive everything you said and like, it's truly been a dream. I listen to this podcast. This podcast has, I've said this to you off, you know, off 
air, but this podcast has transformed my consciousness as well. And whenever I'm feeling low, this is the podcast that I click when I'm walking my dog. And I'm just so grateful for the work that you're doing. And I want all black and brown women to rise. There is so much room for us. And I feel like we are so much powerful when so much more powerful when we realize that when we come together, like this world cannot touch us, you know? And so just thank you for holding that beacon of light and giving me a platform to speak what's on my heart, which I know is on the hearts of so many other young black women. So just thank you, queen. And may we just rise. Like I'm ready. (laughs) Thank you. I love you dearly. I feel like you're like the little sister that I never had because I only, you know, brother brother gang over here um and i just feel so proud of you in like such a big sister way seeing you show up the way you do and shine your light the way you do it's it's truly a gift to be able to witness so thank you for the way you show up thank you peace to you peace to your listeners and it's again been a privilege to be here and i'm excited for the future i, I really am so. I am too. I feel I feel very hopeful, and I also feel very grateful that I mean, my grown ass thirty two year old self is over here oh, loving young. loving the Please. young adult novels. But I'm also so grateful <laughs> that teenage black girls will have books like Hurricane Summer to look to that can speak to their experiences in such beautiful ways. And I think that's taking such a huge step at. Um, at really just helping future generations step into themselves even sooner. I love that. To freeing the kids, honestly, free the kids. Like right. we had to go through it. These kids, I want them to just run wild and free. These young little black girls coming out. I look at my cousin Mila, she's like seven. And I just, that level of confidence and the twinkle in their eyes when they like see us and they see what they can do through us, like free the kids. <laughs> so beautiful. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Uh, uh, Les, thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for being here. It was the biggest honor to have you on the show today. About to sign off here, but oh my goodness, I loved this episode so much. <laughs> I could talk to Asha all day and always appreciate her wisdom and vulnerability. Head to the show notes to follow her on social and to get a copy of her debut novel, Hurricane Summer, which I just finished. And oh my God, it's such a beautiful read. It just, it made me laugh. It made me cry. So if you're looking for fiction that pulls you in, make sure you read Hurricane Summer. Huge thanks to our sponsors. We'll make sure we have all information and discount codes listed in the show notes. And you can always head to balanceblackgirl.com for expanded show notes and more information about each episode. Thank you, yes you, so much for your support, for listening, for your ratings, your reviews, for sharing it with your friends. This show would not be where it is today without you. So thank you immensely. Next week, we're continuing our Dreaming Big and Taking Your Power Back series with a conversation around carving out more time for ourselves and taking our power back from our screens, which trust me is a must listen. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll see you next week.